Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Welcome back to Shared History. History. Let's go places. Oh, let's. I miss traveling. Uh, I I was recently traveling. I drove to Colorado to see my sister. For the you drove to Colorado for like the fourth time this year. It's not even that I'm driving to Colorado. It's that I'm driving through Nebraska. Is all I'm taking away from these trips. <laughs> this summer, I've driven through and back. Nebraska, I don't know, four times, five. That's a lot of Nebraska. Wow. wow. And it's mostly weekend trips. So most of my travel has been in Nebraska. Wow. You really are living the American dream. <laughs> Purple Mountains Majesty. Mm-hmm. And the Great Plains. Mm-hmm. Flatlands Majesty. <laughs> that's that's what that's what they called me in middle school. Oh, they did not call me that. Sick burn on myself. <laughs> But Natalie, well, history takes us places and we're going to go places. We and are going to go places. We're going to share some history. And I'm just, I feel like we're going to get a Miss Frizzle wishbone kind of suck you back in time and give you a real life. I don't know. Do you remember Wishbone? Why isn't there, is there, there better be a crossover episode of Wishbone and Magic School Bus. Oh and my maybe God. maybe Carmen Sandiego. Is, and if there isn't, I'm going to make a fanfic version. Is Tracy Ellis Ross actually going to be Miss Frizzle? I thought there that they talks of like they're doing a reboot or yeah, I thought that they were doing a reboot, but Kate McKinnon was Miss Frizzle. I mean, I see that too, but maybe it was just one of those. I thought Tracy Ellis Ross was in talks to do it, and I would have fucking loved it. And now I just want to get dream casting for Wishbone. Oh, who is your Wishbone? <laughs> Oh man. Like it's a stretch, but I mean, obviously a lot of people are thinking Skip from my dog Skip. Yeah. I feel like people are going to want Airbud because he's kind of got that like, you know, stereotypical traditional like dog next door. Here's here's the thing. Does yeah. it have to be a dog? Can we have some like species blind casting on Wishbone? Oh, I'm intrigued. Also, I love the idea of just like a Labrador as Wishbone or the fact that we have celebrity dogs in mind, or I guess that's just me. Give me your cross species. Oh, I don't wishbone. know. I was, it could be fun if it was a uh, grumpy cat. <laughs> May he rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, that Didn't he die? Fun. I mean, probably. Oh. Uh, that cat couldn't breathe. There's no way that cat could breathe. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just like, I don't know if it like needs to be a dog. I don't it. think it does. I don't think it does. I, I'm now just shooting wise. I think it might be difficult, but Willie, free okay. Willie, I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah Mostly yeah. just because I want to hear the Michael Jackson song. That's, that's from free Willie, right? Girl, it's been yeah, so long when he I jumps that over, movie, but I couldn't tell you. I feel like I always sing, like, every time I hear that song, I say, Free Willy, and everyone looked at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, that was in the movie, 
right? It might've so, been Free Willy too. I have some news for you. What? I don't know who's, it's Fiona Frizzle. The reboot is called The Magic School Bus Rides Again. Ooh. And it came to Netflix earlier in October. So- What already came out? Yes. Well, I um, don't think it's Tracy Ellis Ross or Kate McKinnon. No, it is voiced by Kate McKinnon. Oh, it's voice. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They're doing a. I, I think feel like they thought it was action. a live. Okay. They're also doing a Magic School Bus movie. This is per an article from this past June, with Miss Frizzle played by Elizabeth Banks. Okay, I mean, I see. That's kind of obvious casting. And I do remember actually Kate McKinnon did voice the animated reboot thing, whatever. I thought they were at least someone had thrown out the idea of Tracy Ellis Ross in live action. And I kind of need to see it. I kind of need do you to. Know, do you know who voiced Miss Frizzle in the original cartoon series? I do, I think. And I, is it Lily Tomlin? It is Lily Tomlin. It's Lily fucking Tomlin. And then what I was also going to say is also in 2020 Magic School Bus related news, because apparently that's what the that's what the first part of our show is called now. This is now shared uh, Magic School Bus. Rest Let's go peace. places. Rest in peace, Joanna Cole, the writer of original Magic School Bus writer. Like the This book. is why we need more female writers putting badass bitches in badass roles teaching about science. Teaching about science. I wish that I had better answers for you for my species blind or updated casting for Wishbone. I don't. All I can think of right now is um, the movie Milo and Otis. And there's no way that that cat and that dog are still alive. But I want them to I want to cast them in every role because what a touching, heartfelt journey that is. But now in a less graceful than usual format, <laughs> I'm going to pivot into my story for today, which you know what does have us traveling. We are leaving these United States. We're gonna we're gonna journey somewhere else. We're also, you know, you could say where in the world is Carmen San Diego for this topic, but you could also say where in time is she? Stop it. We're also gonna weigh, we're gonna get in our way back machine and we're gonna get far away from America as in America, not even a twinkle in the founding father's eye because we're going back to the 12th century BCE. What? That's the 1100s. It is. I hate that. Wait, oh wait, BCE? BCE. Oh, so we like Pangea shit. No, unless I wrote this wrong. Before the common era. We are in, we are in. The Shang Dynasty of China. So you'd be... Is that CE? You're CE. Are you sure? Do you know the journey we've been on has been the BCAD, BCE? So I have 1100... Everything in this, though. Like, <laughs> Second Dynasty... The Shang Dynasty is a Second Dynasty. 1600 to 1046 BCE. That's got to be BCE because of the... Oh, because the number numbers gets... Are going. Oh my God. Why do I think that anything before zero is like dinosaurs? I don't know because you did <laughs> deep history as an episode. Deep history, the literal definition is vague. 
So I don't okay. Know. Well, I'm glad for once that I'm not wrong uh, about something in my own notes. I also would like to state for the record as we go into this that if for at least one of these things, I wrote the phonetic pronunciation <laughs> in my notes. So it takes three seasons, but she's learning. This is a story of a bad bitch. This is the <gasps> story of Fu Hao. Fu Hao or Lady Hao. Uh, was one of the many wives of King Wu Ding of the Shang, Di Shang Dynasty. When I say she was one of many wives, do you want to take a guess at how many wives there were? I feel like I would say like 42, but also I feel like I'm going to say like in the thousands because sometimes they like jump those numbers up for... I feel like I was doing research for a topic I may or may not have chosen yet. And he said like 900 or a thousand. Well, if you had gone with your 42, you wouldn't have been right, but you would have won based on prices, right rules. Uh, Cause you over, you overshot your shot. At least I didn't throw away my shot. One of, please don't, <laughs> you can't, don't do it. Wait, one of 64 wives to be Ooh. exact. So Wu Ding reigned from the during the second half of the 12th century BCE. <clears throat> Legend has it that the king married one woman from each local tribe in order to maintain peace. Despite being one of only 64 wives, Fu Hao is far from just one in 64. She was one of the three queens of Wu Ding. So he has 64 wives, only three were considered his queens. She was one of the three queens of Wu Ding. So one of 64 wives, one of three queens. I assume that that makes her extra special. Mm -hmm. She was technically the secondary queen. But boy, oh boy, did she not let that get her down. I also love <laughs> the idea that like there's very much rank and file in, in these wives of who was the most important. Despite being the secondary queen, she was the mother of the prince the who... You know what a prince is. <laughs> I'm familiar. I'm familiar. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. She was granted land, which was unheard of. No woman gets land yeah. before the years of like 1930. That's insane. Yeah. That's also was supposed to be hyperbolic and it's very depressing because it's it's not hyperbolic it's at not all. Not hyperbolic at all. But wait, there's more. There's she more? was a high priestess. So she's a spiritual leader and a heckin' military general. Fuck right off. Are you kidding me? I am not. Was she the third queen because she's a triple threat? Is maybe that what she's you were getting She's one of three. From? She's technically the second secondary queen. <laughs> but boy, is she a triple threat. Like, mother, landlord, priestess, military general, bad bitch. Bad bitch, basically, is what we're saying. Yeah. So most of what we know, so as we've established, uh, what a long, long time ago, most of what we know about her, we know from the inscriptions on oracle bones and ritual bronzeware found in her tomb. I want an oracle bone. So the Shang dynasty is is where the earliest, like this dynasty is where the earliest unearthed oracle bone inscriptions come from. So we haven't found older ones. They're, they're like carved, but it's inscribed in a bone. It's what it, it's what it says it is. A, like a prophecy? Like an, or well, it's like an, it's like a bone that was used in a ritual 
and then oh, they've okay. like trans and they've like inscribed got history it i'm in thinking it. like i'm thinking like book of mormon golden plates coming down no it's no, no. it's used in spiritual act okay yeah, you, i got yeah. it i got uh, way too i i overthought it i did too much you did too much but so oracle bones are for example like the inscriptions on the oracle bones are truly like if i were to have a primary source for this story it's bones um <laughs> The oracle bones are how we know that the king would ask for oracles about Fu Hao's health, pregnancy, and prosperity, which is not something that he would do for all of his ladies. Like he would mm -hmm. ask for their advice and guidance from oracles for her because, because he cares. Oh, This is how we know she was for sure a high priestess who oversaw rituals such as sacrifice and oracle seeking because the oracle bone inscriptions frequently show Fu Hao hosting ceremonies. One has her fixing five turtle plastrons to use as oracle bones. So we know that she was in charge of divination, which is something that like you- Professor wouldn't... Trelawney did? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like <laughs> Professor Trelawney is a doctor of divination. Like you don't, you don't mess with- a PhD. Yeah. You don't mess <laughs> with uh, Oracle Bones or like turtle plastrons unless you are a doctor of the spirit world. Absolutely. Also, the, the term Fu isn't her name. Um, it's a courtly position for women. Many One of many that Fu Hao held, it loosely translates to lady in English. So it's, I don't know, Dame Hao or Lady Hao is also, uh, Dame would not be appropriate, but is also appropriate. Uh, she was also known as Simu Sin. Uh, si is a title for high priestess. It is possible that she was actually originally a priestess and then just happened to marry the king later mm -hmm. versus becoming a priestess after marrying him. But thanks to the Oracle Bone inscriptions, we can piece together Fu Hao's basically entire life and career. Like oh my God, we have, we have diaries, primary <laughs> sources. I love it when people have like, it's in the bones. It's in the bones. <laughs> Like the fact that I mentioned she was granted land. She owned it herself. Super uncommon for a woman in China at the time, let alone a queen. She paid generous tributes to the king. She was a landlord. She took taxes and tithings from the people on her land and paid them forward. She was also, when she was summoned to court, she was summoned as a landed aristocrat. So bitches in the real estate game. <laughs> From also from the inscriptions and from the presence of a heck load of weapons found in her tomb, scholars can conclude that she was a general in charge of several military campaigns for the Shang Dynasty. She would have fought against the neighboring Tu Ba Yi and Qiang tribes. That's one that I should have written out phonetically and I didn't. Do you know what? Do you know what you're not gonna do? What? You're not gonna find a landlord. And just like give him a sword and be like, hey, girl, go fight. You're going to give her a fucking regiment because mm -hmm. she knows how to run shit. She organizing things. I'm going to get multiple troops in here because I am a landowner. I do real estate. I can multitask. Listen, she run in the peoples. She run in the the fighters. She run in the prophecies. She run that shit. She's running all the shit. I love hearing about like female warriors, but man, I love hearing about like a, a triple threat, leadership roles and positions, all the oracleizing. 
she has a pretty impressive resume right here. Yeah. And because, you know, we're all the way back in the 12th century BCE, you know that she was also very young while doing all of this. Oh, God. Oh, I didn't even think no, about that. Not like you crazy. Said, like, no, I but mean, you said dame earlier. And anytime you hear the word dame, I go to Judy Dench. So I'm weirdly just picturing like this old lady, like the that. dame Judy Dench of the Bronze Age China. Yeah. Which I want that movie now. Right? Uh, no, that is not a role that we need to cast Dame Judy Dench in. Oh no, 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 no! I don't want Dame Judy Dench in that role. I want to you find just wanna... what that entity would be in mm-hmm. Bronze Age China. I wouldn't be against this. No. Hey, Cass. Yes, Nat. Would you say you wear your love of Iowa on your sleeve? You know what? I, I would actually. Is it because you regularly shop at Raygun? Oh, you mean the greatest store in the universe? The most important clothing store the earth has ever seen since the early Mesozoic era? The one that started in Iowa and now has stores throughout the Midwest? Mm Mm-hmm, that's the one. Yeah, I do own a lot of Raygun products, specifically ones that brag about Iowa. So yeah, I guess I literally wear my love of Iowa on my sleeve. Cool, just checking. Did you know that this podcast is sponsored by Raygun and that Raygun has stores in Des Moines, Chicago, Cedar Rapids, Iowa City, Kansas City, Omaha, or you can shop online at raygunsite.com? Yes. Yes, I know all of that. Of course you do. Use promo code SHARE-YOU-LATER to save on your next order. You don't need to be obsessed with Iowa to shop there and enjoy their stuff. But it never hurts. <sighs> That's raygunsite.com. Promo code SHARE-YOU-LATER. When I say uh, that she was younger at this time, one source said that when she was still a teenage queen, she strongly recommended herself as the general of Shang's army, which I love just being like, I recommend myself for this job. I'm qualified. I have a recommendation. It's myself. Basically, she saw his assigned generals taking forever to make progress. Classic men. And... (laughs) And Wu Ding, so Wu Ding sent his young queen into the battlefield. She picked up her broad axes and she kicked some butt. I just like this idea of a teenager being like, all right, I'm in charge. And then he's like whipping out two broad axes and just casual. Casual. Just had these hidden behind me right here. It's fine. An oracle bone inscription asks whether Fu Hao should gather soldiers before an attack. Another reports that the king assembled soldiers for Fu Hao's campaign against the two tribe. She would have also fought wars in in other regions, but this is how we know for sure that she she was an acting general. Mm -hmm. One source said that together with her husband, they implemented and won the earliest ambush war in Chinese history and had commanded and succeeded in the largest scale war of that century. She would have led about... 13,000 warriors in the defeat of a strong nomadic regime. Holy shit. Yeah, she running shit. She was the first documented female general in the history of China. Not surprising, considering the time that we are at right now in this this timeline. This is a very long time ago. BCE. BCE, baby. She died at 33, either from a de- difficult childbirth or a lethal wound from the wars. But what is a difficult childbirth <laughs> but a lethal wound <laughs> from the war of womanhood? <laughs> oh, Jesus. I don't know. I, I just said layers, I thought. During, uh, she, so she died still during the reign of her husband, Wu Ding. She was deified and she was three times 
ceremoniously married to the deified ancestors of the dynasty. She was wait what? So that's a a, a thing. You could be married in. You could be married posthumously to the ancestors. I don't know if this is something outside of the like ruling class or not, but you could be married posthumously to a ancestor that has also obviously died and basically be like, corpse, like bri corpse bride and groom. <laughs> but it's like, it's, it's a way of, it's a cultural thing. It's making sure that you are looked after and taken care of in the afterlife and loved in the afterlife as you oh. were in your life. So presumably Wu Ding was worried that Fu Hao was lonely and wanted her to be well taken care of in the oh. other world. She Ooh. was, yeah, she was she was posthumously <clears throat> married to the thirteenth, fourth, and first kings of the Shang Dynasty. So, what is what do those marriage negotiations look like? You got to get a different oracle to talk to the thirteenth, fourteenth, and first. And she first. goes all the way to the beginning. I don't know. He wow. must have thought she was going to be real bored and lonely in the afterlife because I guess she was like doing so much when she was alive that he was like, well. God. She likes to stay busy. She likes to stay busy. Give her three corpse husbands. <laughs> her tomb was found. Uh, so the part of the reason they have all this is because her tomb was found intact in a village in the ancient city of Anyang, which is in northeastern China. It was found intact in 1975. So in addition to the oracle bones and the shitload of weapons I mentioned, they also found a lot of other bronzeware, 750 jade artifacts, over 6,000 cowrie shells, which were used as currency back then. The If you want to see some of the bronze, bronzeware and the other artifact, artifacts, they can be visited in the Yinsu Museum in Anyang. And yeah, that's, that's Fu Hao. There's not a ton about her because right. we're 12th century BCE, but there's a surprising amount about her considering we're in the 12th century BCE. That's insane. And I also like being not historians as we are, Natalie. Um, what? We're not historians? Becoming an amateur historian and most of our, my research at least, is like, I'm going to jump on Wikipedia and figure out contextually where I am and then try to find sources. And unless you like have a lot of connections at I don't know, university, library, whatever, like you're kind of just getting articles that other people have wrote, written about this mm -hmm. person. And so it's just given me so much more appreciation for, for me, because I, I, in, I looked at all of these inscribed Oracle bones myself. Um, yeah. Like, I don't even know how you were able to get over there to get those Oracle bones. Time travel, man. <laughs> the way back machine portals. <laughs> Like, again, we are not historians. I'm joking because I wouldn't even say we're amateur historians. We're history we're, enthusiasts. We're history enthusiasts who do homework and just like trying to find enough information or like non-biased. I have words to say about some of the sources that I found. It's so difficult. And so, and I get so nerdy, like I'm not a paleontologist. I'm not a whatever. But when you said... They found her tomb fully intact. I was like, oh, that's so much information for people right there. Like that's giving us so much knowledge. And it really is. I just got to, I just got to throw it out to my amateur paleontologists out there too. Cause I mean, you do in the work for us. It's not paleontology. <laughs> paleontology is only concerned with like fossils of animals and plants. 
God damn it. I knew it was wrong the whole time. And I can't tell you how much I hate myself right now. All you have to do is remember Ross Geller is a paleontologist. Uh, and wait, Disregard everything I just said, except for my appreciation for people who dig stuff up. Yeah. So that other people can write and read about it. I mean, respect for paleontologists. Oh, yeah. Also. But also kind of no respect for raptors or T-Rexes or anything because they weren't writing things down. And, you know, no respect for Ross Geller. Absolutely none. Oh, man, I actually, I hate to say it because I've turned around on the whole Ross thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, he's annoying, but I don't hate him as much. He's not a bad guy. I always compared him to Ted Mosby. Ted Mosby's awful. Ted Mosby's a dick. Uh, Ross Geller means well. Also, David Schwimmer is a very, very sweet man. I feel like maybe that's why I've reversed all my opinions on Ross Geller. I honestly having like met and worked with him on a, a show at Looking Less Theater, I was an intern. Don't make that, don't feel like that was a brag. I was- <laughs> No, it was like when I was on Friends- when I was in Friends, I was um, I was in the one about the Oracle Bones, the one with the Eric <laughs> Oracle Bones. And um, Ross Geller comes running up to my character and he's like, I found this ox scapula. And I'm like, oh my God. And then we don't have a romantic aside because I would have had to have been like 10 to be on that show. But You're like, I'm on my break. I'm on my break. We're on a break. No, okay. No, but I've heard that he's just like a good person and I think especially in the, the the industry where all these things are coming out about not good men. It was just really nice to hear some of the good things that he does and has done. And yeah, and I'm sorry, Ross. I'm sorry, Ross. He definitely cares and he definitely tries. But if you would like to pivot. I'm going to pivot. Natalie, I feel like. Pivot. You pivot. <laughs> Thank you for that. You're welcome. I feel like you are going to nerd out about <gasps> my topic so much. Not so much because you know so much about it, but because it references a lot of previous episodes we've had before. Oh my god. Oh my god. So is this going to be gonna... like a like a like and a this isn't a season or a series finale, but when you end up having that episode that very clearly they didn't have a ton of time to shoot or they didn't have a big budget. So it's the episode that has like flashbacks to like a million oh, other episodes. Yeah, 100%. We're flashing back. We're, we were on hiatus. And so we're just like, I don't know. They mentioned them. Let's, let's build a story around that kind of. Okay. I'm very excited. I would like to tell you about another bad bitch. <gasps> bad bitches. Nanette Stryker was a German piano maker, composer, musician, educator, and writer. She made some of the pianos that Ludwig van Beethoven actually played. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she was born January, January 2nd in 1769 in Augsburg, Germany. Her father was Johann Andreas Stein, who was a famous piano maker. He invented what's called Austrian action, on pianofortes. So up until very recently at this time, what people knew of what we would think of pianos was the harpsichord. Harpsichord looks like a piano, sounds like a harp. It's a stringed instrument. It would mm-hmm. pluck the string. So you could not wait, wait, 
What? Now it strikes it. I wanted that to be a thing, but oh. it's not because that was the very first thing I thought of. But still, what yeah. a delightful coincidence. Well, I looked up because I took German in high school and I was like, strike, I don't think means to hit, but it but it might. And then it said, in the Google translation said that striker means strings, which I was like, oh my God, it's a stringed instrument. But then it was like, no, that's not true. It means prank. So I really wanted something to be there. I don't think it was. It's okay. It's a pun that only works in not the original language. Exactly. Also, her maiden name was Stein, not Stryker. But it's still cool. So if she hyphenated her maiden and her merry name, she'd be, she'd be, wait, Stein Stein Stryker. So she'd be like drunk prankster. Because he said Stein, like Bierstein. Yeah. Lucky, I mean, hey, oh man, I kind of want that to be it now. I'm going to change the whole story. <laughs> so harpsichords, um, the mechanism would pluck the string. You couldn't really change the the volume. Uh, like it, everything just sounded the exact same every time you plucked it. Listeners, if you're having a hard time thinking about a harpsichord and you don't know what a harpsichord is, you can think about our theme music because our theme, while well, created digitally, has has harpsichord music at the beginning of it, you know, before it turns into a little Avril Lavigne. <laughs> Which is exactly what we told the Garrett. composer to do. Yeah. Um, it's not that big of a deal. Like if like harpsichords and pianos to most people wouldn't seem that different. They sound slightly different. Basically harpsichords used to pluck and then um, someone made it so that there was a small hammer and the the hammer would bounce back. And so the sound could reverberate. It could get loud based on how hard you press it. It could get soft based on how softly you press it. You could change dynamics and sounds with it. That's why it was called a piano because once it became, stopped being a harpsichord, it became a piano forte, which means soft. soft. Piano means soft, forte means loud. And it ended up just getting shortened to piano. So there's a little bit of history for you too. If you ever watch uh, Pride and Prejudice or any period film where someone sits down, they're usually like, oh, shall we play the pianoforte? It's just basically the first and last name of piano. Mm-hmm. That's until, they be- until they became st- Sting and they just go- or Cher or Adele or Whitney and they just go by one name. Mm-hmm. They, got, they got so famous that it's like you didn't, you didn't, you could drop the forte. Yeah. So basically her dad was a big deal. And so that was called the Austrian action. The Austrian action. Not to be confused with any Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Actually, Arnold Schwarzenegger was there. He got in his way back oh machine. Oh my God. That I will hammer the strings. You know what? That's it. That's who's playing Wishbone. Oh, yes. <laughs> Species blind casting. Or at least that's who's voicing Wishbone. So... <laughs> So Johann Stein is like famous piano maker. He like he's actually building them. He is a mechanical whiz bang. He's building these pianos. He's inventing different ways to make them better, make to sound different. He started as an organist. So he's building organs, which were essentially woodwinds. Mm-hmm. It's just air going through it. And then he's like, nah, uh, I want to be a percussionist or stringist. So I'm going to make pianos now. Um, his daughter, Nanette, 
Oh, right. That's who we were talking about That's who before we're t- all I, the yeah. bits. I was, we bitted a lot and I was given a lot of piano forte history and then was like, I have a story to tell. It's not about him. It's not about him. Nanette was kind of a musical prodigy. It's People are like, she wasn't a prodigy, but Johan said she was, or like he built that up to get more clout or whatever. She was really fucking good. Mozart heard her play when she was eight and he, quote, criticized her posture and grimacing, but admitted that she had genius. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart said, this little eight-year-old girl has genius. So like, prodigy or not, she's really fucking good. That was at eight. She's kind of devastated by that. Two years later when she was 10. She was devastated that she was called a genius with shitty posture? Yeah. Ugh. Oh my God. My life sucks. Mozart thinks I'm good. <laughs> Everything's hard when you're so good. <laughs> so two years later when she was 10, she mastered many of her father's building techniques. And she earned a reputation as a mechanical wunderkind. So this is kind of where the story gets like awesome and shitty at the same time. She essentially, she worked in her, at her father's business. She learned, she was making and building and like tweaking and inventing like these pianos. This was also in the time when advancements were being made in pianos, the actual instrument. What we know of it today was completely being revolutionized at the time. And she was the one doing it and was one of the best. Her father died in 1792 when she was about 23 years old like previously, right before he died, she married Johann Andreas Stryker, which is weird because same her first and middle same name, Johann Andreas. Yeah. It's makes me uncomfortable, but whatever. So Johann, the, hu- the hubby, he was a composer and a musician and he was, he wasn't like crazy famous or anything, but he was pretty well known as a, he was a pretty good composer at the time. He was getting some, some attention. And then after her father died, Nanette, took over the business. Nanette was making the pianos. Nanette was manufacturing and doing all this stuff. When you pull up Johann Andreas Stryker on anything, almost almost any article you find, whether it's Wikipedia, whether it's, I think it's Classical FM, which when I did the Joseph Ballone episode, they take such a male gazy view such a colonial view. Do they say that he that Johann Andreas Stryker was the one doing all the work? Johann Andreas Stryker was a German pianist, composer, and piano maker. And they give him credit for being the manufacturer, for being the one that's making these, that's building these, that's running the business. And a lot of times they'll say he married Nanette Stryker, the daughter of this other piano maker. And just completely like disregard her that basically all she gave him was my dad was like a really good piano maker and we got married. So now like you can make pianos, but also get his credit. And it's so infuriating. Hey, Nat, what you been up to during the pandemic? Oh, God. Eating mostly. Oh, like cooking and eating homemade meals and stuff? (laughs) No, like ordering delicious sweet treats and cakes from ECBG Cake Studio. They make specialty cakes for all occasions. They make wedding cakes, they do custom cookies, they have all sorts of sweet treats you can order and pick up. Don't they also do online baking classes? They do. 
So I guess I could get more hands-on with my baked good habit. While Natalie stops salivating, you should go visit at ECBG underscore studio on Instagram and their website, ecbgstudio.com. I learned about Nanette Stryker from a New York Times article that uh, came out very recently, actually. And it says in it, she owned her own company, employing her husband, Andreas Stryker, a pianist and teacher to handle sales, bookkeeping, and business correspondence. But many Beethoven scholars, perhaps finding it incon- inconceivable that an 18th century woman could build a piano, have turned Andreas into the manufacturer and Annette into a shadowy helpmate. What do you think is more believable? That the person who has been raised by and worked at a piano manufacturing company for years and was raised by a piano manufacturer is then the one building the pianos or her husband who just knows how to play them? And the thing is, in in almost all of the research, it's Nanette grew up with this amazing piano maker father. Nanette helped her father build these things. Nanette learned these skills from her father. And then as soon as she gets married, it's like her husband, the piano maker. Are you fucking kidding me? Nanette got married and lost that whole section of her brain that had learned this skill. And somehow through the power of matrimony, it was (laughs) it was transferred to her spouse who is now the the, wund, the wunderkind himself. Um, I love the power of matrimony. I feel like mm-hmm. that's a, a cult we should start. Oh, wait, it's already been started. Yeah, I'm part of it. I'm so, doubly part of it now as an ordained <laughs> minister and, <laughs> and a married human. So what's going what's gonna to nerd you out and piss you off is that- More? It's going to piss me off more? More. So this oh. is jumping ahead a little bit. Okay. So her father create. Oh, he he invented the Austrian action. Um, he built from very rudimentary pianos to one that had a the technical aspect of the Austrian action, but b it had about a five and a half octave range. So when you look at all the keys, you know you go from C to C, C D E F G F. That's one octave, and mm-hmm. then the next one up. So he had five and a half octaves. Nanette create like she was the one that did this it wasn't like under her manufacturing prowess people who worked in her company did this she expanded her father's piano design of five octave piano shaped like a shaped like a harpsichord to an impressive grand piano of six and a half octaves so she completely redesigned the piano if you look at a harpsichord it looks slightly different from a piano Mm -hmm. let alone a grand piano and especially with uh austrian action is very light, like very, uh, very touchy. So you barely had to touch it and it would make a sound. And so that way you can move very fast, very dexterously. Well, she befriended Beethoven, who, as we all know, loved to pound on them keys and he lost his hearing. So he needed loud pianos. He liked to hit them really hard. So with this kind of more dynamic style, not just from Beethoven, but at the time in general, she needed to make a sturdier, a heavier she instrument. She needed a piano, that, an instrument that could literally take a beating. Literally. So she created these, it's like the harpsichord just had kind of wooden frames. Um, she basically, she expanded like what we know of pianos and Beethoven was playing them. So 
her company was fucking amazing. People went to her because of she was the best at what she did. And she made a piano for a little person that you and I are familiar with. Do you remember Clara Schumann? Clara Schumann! Our friend Gareth. Mm -hmm. Episode 21. Episode 21, who talked about Claire Schumann on that episode. Nanette Stryker made a piano for her that her shitty dad got for her. And he was like peddling her around the country Mm -hmm. and controlling her life. And she was like, bitch, maybe I should just, what if she had just hung out with Nanette more? Like that would have been great. Yeah. Instead of hanging out with men like three times her age who somehow fall in love with her when she's like 10 years old. Yes. Go listen to episode 21. It's a hoot. It's so much fun. But she made a piano for that her dad, Claire Schumann's dad, who was like, I want to get in with all the good people because he was like mostly just trying to promote her and everything. Mm -hmm. So he got a piano from her because it was the best and then gave it to Claire Schumann. Claire Schumann was a composer and her husband got all the credit. It's fucked up. Nanette had a had a much better relationship. Her husband wasn't this like asshole who's like, I'm doing everything. Like they, they very much loved each other. They had a thriving, successful business. When she took over the business in 1794, they moved to Vienna from Augsburg to Vienna, Austria, where the music scene was just exploding. Mm. And this is another tie into one of our other previous episodes. God, She had her own Viennese salon. So Salonniers, and we talked about it a lot in France, and then kind of mm. it moved over to focusing on Germany and oh, Vienna. Oh, God, and if, I were to, if I were to guess, I'd say episode five. I'm gonna I think it is. It's uh, like salons and oh, sphincters. And sphincters, because we talk about cat buttholes. Cat buttholes, you know. Nope, episode three. Episode three. Episode three. Oh, well, that was a while ago. So what is a salon? Go listen to episode three. Um, she had her, manufa- her piano manufacturing business. They created about... 55 to 60 grand pianos a year, which these are very difficult to make. These are very expensive to make. These are very costly. Like people's paying a lots of money. Fucking mm-hmm. Ludwig von Beethoven's buying these things, putting out 50 to 65 a year is, is a huge volume. Yeah. And then at home, it was like every Monday night, the Monday salons, she would have famous musicians, famous artists. Beethoven would come. Uh, Goethe would come, the the German, he's basically German Shakespeare. Talk about Goethe in the Halloween episode this. We do, yes. Like, it's Very briefly. full circle. So many little tasty tie-ins. Little tasty tie-ins. So she, these were like famous salons for, or a famous salon for people to go to. She met Beethoven in Augsburg. So it was before she moved to Vienna, but he was younger than her, I think, 10, 15 years, like significantly. And Beethoven was, he was a troubled man. He was a troubled figure. He had a lot of drama going on in his life. And so she befriended him. And then he started going to these salons and he started playing there a lot. She basically became a mother figure to him with her husband, Johann Andreas, the hubby, not the father. They seem to have, (laughs) Johann and Nanette seem to have a very good marriage, a very good business partnership. She's like, yeah, you are an amazing composer. And he was like, yeah, you make a good uh, piano. Also, she was an amazing composer, pianist and singer herself. They were Talking doing all the threats. Things. Although she quadruple, quadruple threats. She had so many threats. 
but it does seem like as opposed to Claire Schumann and her or and her I guess relationship with her father or whatnot no one's like keeping Nanette down like she's doing the thing not even Mozart telling her that she has shitty posture is going to keep her down no like literally the only thing is how history has has kind of twisted it but so she met Beethoven he was going to her, to her salon all the time and playing. And then she became a mother figure and he was like having trouble with his finances. He was drinking. He was philandering. He like, he needed to. Is um, Nanette bailing Beethoven out all the time? Bailing Beethoven is actually the film that is being, cre- no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's a really weird partner piece to the Beethoven <laughs> movies. There's, there's within the, I think we're talking a lot about dog movies. Okay. Beethoven dream casting. Go. The dog. What do you mean? (laughs) Oh, Flipper would be good. Flipper would be good. Um, the, uh, the Jack Russell Terrier from Frasier. Oh, I know that dog's name. I can't think of it. I love Frasier. I mean, that dog is dream casting for literally every dog on screen. I'm going to be honest. He's the best. Rusty? No. But so within like an 18 month time period, Beethoven wrote her 60 letters. He was going through like legal drama with his sister-in-law and was trying to gain custody of her son, his nephew. Um, He was having trouble with this. He also was like, I need this. I need to take care of this kid, but I can't take care of a kid, but also I can't really take care of myself. So like she would go over and like clean up his apartment. She would launder or she would get his clothes to go to laundry and like, help him with his finances be like hey this is how you should probably treat a child like basically see see how i'm treating you grown man this is how you should treat a child yeah beethoven was a wreck and like leaned on her so 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 hard when her father died and she took over the business in 1794 uh, she split the business like with her brother who was 16 at the time so he was she was 23, 24, so not significantly younger, but also a 16-year-old running a business. Her father's company was called J.A. Stein, J.A. Stein. Uh, and when she started working with her brother, uh, she called it Geschwisternstein, which means siblings, the Stein uh-huh. siblings, which is cute. Um, they ran it together pretty successfully. And then he was like, I want to go do my own thing screw you and so she put her name on it and the business then became nanette striker knee stein like when you see n-e-e it means like mm-hmm. maiden name was so she kept her name on it and i think Wait, he hold got on. the business is named after her and her husband is still getting the credit i don't know if the business was then named after or if she was putting that on her pieces like on the piano got it got it got it but yeah but it said that they were geschwisternstein and then they changed it to nanette i think they made it seem like she owns a business it's her father's business that her husband is now running and doing all the shit for Mm -hmm. you know like i'm giving you my title you do all the work you big strong smart man Okay, so now I get to talk about my love of Chicago, right? I guess fair is fair. More specifically, I want to talk about my love of Chicago history and architecture, which I share with our sponsor, Cape Horn Illustration. You know their work isn't all Chicago-centric, right? Yeah, but the pieces I own are. 
Fair. Cape Horn Illustration is a Chicago-based art studio with a love of architecture in the city. Their work features classic home illustrations, badass ceramics, and so much more. They even take commissions. Check them out at capehorn-illustration.com. Use promo code SHAREDCAPE for 10% off. So they they kind of had, her and her brother kind of had a not great parting of ways. They split the business. Beethoven bought a piano from her and said it was too good for him, meaning that it was technically perfect. And the way they made it with kind of the, the lighter strings and more dexterous and whatnot was like, it was built perfectly. But, but Beethoven him, doesn't play perfectly. Beethoven doesn't play perfectly. And especially because of his hearing, he needs to hit those keys hard. He needs heavy keys. It was a perfect piano, but for this specific player who needs a specific sound, specific tone, he was like, it's not for me. He, he had a significant correspondence with Nanette later in his life. And before she died, he wrote, it's the best piano he's ever played that she built him. She, she openly said like, he's not a good guy. Dude's got a lot of problems. Dude's super fucked up. Like she was not just some, Oh, I'll take care of you, you man. Yeah. And like, take no credit. Like she's like, get your shit together. I'm not going to say this guy's a fucking saint, but he also is very important to me. I'm going to take care of him. And he was likewise with her. She ran the business with her husband after she broke away with her brother. And then her son, Johann Baptiste Stryker, took over the business. And then his son took over the business as well. Once her grandson took over, after he died, the, the business was no more. But they had this long legacy of being one of the greatest piano makers of the time. In the New York Times article that I found, part of it's trying to vindicate her of like, hey, this girl's a badass. Also, she was doing the thing not mm -hmm. this guy. And then at the very end of the article, and I'm just going to read it verbatim. It's amazing. In the mid-1960s, Margaret Hood, an artist and calligrapher, raised two young children. Oh, also, uh, Nanette was doing this all while raising two children. Of That's course. Important. I mean, I feel like that was Im just Im implied. Yes. Also, she lost a child during this time in, in childbirth or in infancy and was still raising children and was still making the best and goddamn pianos of all time. And was raising Beethoven. <laughs> raising <Adult> Beethoven. <laughs> so, so the design that she and her father and a lot of people created is people don't use pianos like hers anymore or like anyone was using until people started. Historians and professional musicians were like, I want to play Beethoven the way Beethoven played it. So they started doing recreations of the actual instruments he would have been using. So that's why this is also pertinent. Thank you for reminding me of a really great scene from Call Me By Your Name. If you haven't seen Call Me By Your Name, listeners, please watch Call Me By Your oh, Name. Oh, cry. Oh. You only cry you the last cry. part of it. But yes, yeah, it's, it's true. Also, or, or read it. It's also a very good book. Yes. Okay. So it's, it's the 1960s. Musicians, people are recreating pianos to play accurately, mm -hmm. historically accurate. The New York Times article states... In the mid-1960s, Margaret Hood, an artist and calligrapher, raised two young children. She started making harpsichords. After doing research in Europe, she began specializing in reproductions of striker pianos, producing them in her Platteville, Wisconsin workshop. 
She was building an 1816 Stryker six and a half octave grand when she died in 2008. Ann Acker, who trained as a concert pianist before studying mathematics and computer science, met Miss Hood in Wisconsin. They bonded over their love of music and Miss Hood became Miss Acker's mentor. While caring for her children, Miss Acker began building and repairing harpsichords and unique pianos. And after her friend's death, she purchased the reproduction of Stryker, the reproduction Stryker from Miss Hood's husband. And she says, I explained to him that a piano researched and begun by a woman that is a replica of a piano designed and built by a woman needs to be finished by a woman, Ms. Acker said in an interview. The piano, the work of three women over two centuries, had its debut at the Boston Early Music Festival in 2019. It was the year of Nanette's 250th birthday. The silence is us like happy sobbing. I was getting like legitimately a little teary towards the end there and I just needed to take a deep breath. Also, the article was written by a woman too. It's it's one of those things of research is so important, finding out correct research and then being able to honor the legacy of, honestly, I don't, I don't know uh, Margaret Hood's husband and maybe he just didn't give a shit, but maybe he was like, no, a woman needs to do this. It's important and it does make a difference. Yeah. And that That's literally beautiful. like, I'm raising my two children while doing this. And she was raising her two children while doing this. And this person was raising her children while doing this. Like the overlaps and 250th birthday. And also fucking Ann Acker was a concert pianist studying mathematics and computer science. Like turn down Ann Casual. Acker. And by turn down, I mean, don't keep Listen, doing your thing. This is an episode about bad bitches who are minimum triple threats minimum yeah also you know sometimes you are posthumously married to your ancestors <laughs> and sometimes you're posthumously stripped of the credit for all of the work you did and it's ascribed to your husband so you know you win some you lose some we can't control what happens to us after death <laughs> apparently but hopefully 200 years later, someone will, a woman will recreate your accomplishments. Yes. I don't know what that means. Is this <laughs> why, because I kept waiting for, I kept waiting for this button and I was like, I was going to say something and I didn't want to steal your thunder and spoil a bit or a reveal like I often have. <laughs> Is that why the piano brand the piano make that everyone has and loves is a Steinway or no nope because I was thinking that the whole time good because uh, so uh, I did end up looking up Steinway is produced so it was, a, it was a German immigrant who came to New York yeah but is he making it the Steinway no his name was actually Steinvig which Alice W-E-G yeah sounds okay. more American we're gonna make up what America sounds like Veg is now going to be Vey. Way. I kept I kept waiting for the twist to be like, and now that's why we make our piano fortes the Stein way. <laughs> and it never came. I I don't like that better, but I still really like it. I was gonna say I like it better. But I was like, no, I just love Nanette. So I know much. there's there's an, it's a beautiful story as is. I was literally like. <sighs> I cry at everything anymore. Like it's getting to be a problem. I was talking to my mom the other day. I started crying about something. She's like, are you okay? No, I mean like, 
is everything okay? I was like, no, I've just been crying at like a lot of stuff lately and I can't control it. And then later I cried at something else and someone else is like, are you okay? She's like, no, she's been crying at everything. <laughs> are you, are you crying at everything? Are you happy crying at everything? Sad crying at everything? Anxiety, panic crying at everything? Or is it just a general like Yes. Every, <laughs> every heightened emotion ends in tears. I feel big to begin with, but I think it's a lot of those, like, this is such a beautiful thing. I've been watching finished Grace and Frankie like a month ago, whatever. Speaking of Lily Tomlin circling back, it's, it's the odd couple dynamic, you know, mm-hmm. they butt heads, but they love each other and they're friends. And anytime they like come at the end of every episode, when something sweet happens, I'm just like, they love each other. <laughs> Anytime there's just pure, like, we're, we're just going to do the thing because I love the person and I'm just showing kindness. Like I'll be watching the fucking news and someone's like, over to you, Cheryl. <gasps> they just respect each other so much. Or like, it's just beautiful. You get it, Cheryl. Also don't follow the dodo on Instagram. And by don't, I mean do, because they're all, they all just start as like, abused or injured animals with dramatic music and then it's like I nurse this drowning chipmunk back to health and I'm like oh my god and now it's best friends with this three-legged golden retriever (gasps) it gets me every and it's literally the same outline of every you know they're all like two or three minute it's the same thing verbatim like the format is the same it gets me every time but yeah that is hand um, down though. Like that's like, I, I feel like that's where the wall between being fine and crying is so much thinner now for me as anytime it's something more like very heartwarming or like they just yeah. love each other versus like being super sad, like sad things too. But like, yeah, the reason not to spoil, call me by your name, but the reason I cry at the end of call me by your name is because of love. Let me just yeah say that. And also sadness, but also love. Uh, so good God. What? I love that these are like bad bitches who both of us just got like verklempt talking about. Also my fake jokey cry. I've been told, or I just see in the fear in other people's faces is like way too close, like a real cry. So I'm not crying everyone yet. Um, but yeah, no, it's just, it's, it's just a good story. And it's, it's a good story because women in the end get to vindicate another woman and mm-hmm. get to, I don't they know. raise each other up. Yeah. Just like Josh Groban does. Yeah. Gosh, you Josh. raise me up. Oh, he doesn't raise it. Someone else. Maybe he's talking about Nanette. Maybe. Striker. Maybe, Maybe the song was written for her. You heard it here first. That's canon now. <laughs> That's canon. Like Pachelbel's. Pachelbel's canon. It's a... It's a musical piece. Like a canon in uh, E minor? D major. D major? I don't know. I'm just naming, <laughs> just naming it. It's like, I can't remember all those it damn canons. It's just, it felt good. felt good to have some uplifting history. Yeah. And just also just actually hear about a female manufacturer. She was an engineer, an architect of instruments. We don't have a lot of tinkerers that we talk about. Basically like an old-time engineer. We got two badass broads mm. i'm very happy on one episode i know we used to have would do women in history like oh, almost every episode was that but then i don't know then we found more history then we found more history 
and you know, gender is a, is a construct. Uh, well, my heart is very happy. My heart is full. You know what else makes my heart very full and happy? What? When people leave us reviews. Oh, I love when they leave us ratings and reviews. I was telling Natalie earlier, I was like, Natalie, I just read one of our reviews and someone said, these ladies are hot. And then I reread it and it said, these ladies are hoot. And I remembered that podcasting is not a visual medium. So yeah, we have a very, we have, I just think we have very, we have very sexy voices. That's definitely something you and I are both known for. (laughs) As I do my horse laugh. (laughs) And mine's more of like a, like a gasping for air, my laugh. (laughs) Hoot. This has been a hot hoot and it'd be a hot hoot if you would uh, scurry on over to Apple or Stitcher and leave us a rating and review. Anything over four stars is acceptable. <laughs> because uh, it is really, truly that and and setting your subscription to the podcast to like automatically download episodes, even if like you're not commuting right now and you're not going to listen to them for a bit. Like that, those two things help tremendously when it comes to other people finding and digging into the podcast. So a big recommend and a thank you in advance. Also, if you ever leave us a rating and review, and even if you already have, if you tell us which username is yours or or like send us a screen cap of the rating and review, we will send you some some small swag. Some small swag. Small swag. Yeah, like uh, and, and you might even see yourself featured on a fan friday or a fan post over on the instagram and the twitters at shared pod uh we're going to be posting lots of great images and media from the pod so go over there and check that out natalie did we say anything incorrect in this entire episode oh i can guarantee it (laughs) because there's at least one phonetic spelling i didn't write out you can send us any questions, corrections, or suggestions. That means like, did we say something wrong? Is there something that you're like, hey, what was this thing? I want to learn more about it. Or if you were like, hey, there's this cool thing. Can you cover it sometime? Um, we do get, we, we get, we get some suggestions to our DMs. You can also send questions, corrections, or suggestions to us on the emails. We're at sharedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. So. We've also got, we are also on Arcade Audio's Patreon, patreon.com slash Arcade Audio. Got it. Tell them that Shared History sent you and you'll get to listen to some of our low locals, which are just little mini episodes about uh, people who you don't know are named after streets on places you live. And we dig into it a little deeper. We've got merchandise, all this stuff on the Arcade Audio website. Check it out. Man, Natalie, history. It took us places today. It sure did. I hope it takes us places tomorrow. Oh, is that because we'll share Share you later? Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.